You are listening to the Give Me Five podcast, episode number 60. Spider-Man and his amazing friends, Iceman and Firestar. This is the Give Me Five podcast, a semi-entertaining show about sometimes legendary subjects. My name is Jimmy, and as always, I'm here with my co-host Greg. Hello! (coughs) And Rob. (laughs) I have no freaking clue what that was. (laughs) Greg, coughing up a lung. Here on the Give Me Five podcast, we discuss pop culture, entertainment, and a little bit of nostalgia. This week, we will be discussing the life of the late, great, and legendary father of Marvel, Mr. Stanley. Yeah. I, and and for those who don't know or for those who aren't caught up with, uh, like, uh, events revolving around the, the comic book world or whatever, Stanley passed away this past Monday. Um, My guess is that anyone listening to the show will know that, unless they're listening to it from a cave somewhere. <laughs> a cave! A bat cave. But we're going to um, discuss that. Mostly today, there's a few other little things. We're going to talk a little bit more about Red Dead Redemption, and I'm going to talk a little bit about EDC, or Electric Daisy Carnival, more of the goofy things that I saw there, and I think that's mostly it. Rob, do you have anything to bring to the table? Um, Well, no, I was just going to let us dedicate the time to, because I think we were going to talk a good bit about Stanley, so I was just going to leave it at that. Yes. Uh, We're going to try to be a little bit upbeat about that, despite the fact that a a legend has passed. Mm Mm-hmm. But anyway, uh, due to the fact of what it is, there's not going to be too many spoilers. There might be a a little bit of a spoiler in some of the news stuff we're going to discuss, but... There might be a little bit of a spoiler in the Red Dead Redemption section. So, this is... Fuck, I thought... Sorry. Shoot. I thought I... (laughs) thought I put that on mute. Rob just cut off his leg with a lightsaber. Anyway, (laughs) this is a review show. This is a review show, and there will probably be some spoilers. We're going to try to avoid any major twists. However, if you did not know that Stan Lee's job in the armed forces was that of playwright, or that he was born Stanley Martin Lieber, then you might want to pause and come back later. But as I said before, probably not a spoiler-heavy episode. God, he really his position really was playwright. It was, and um, apparently we'll, we'll get into yeah, we're going to yeah, get into all that stuff. We'll talk about it. So, as always, you can find us on Facebook if you search for the Give Me Five podcast. You can reach us on Twitter and Instagram at Give Me Five Pod. And you can email us, give me five podcast at gmail.com. And with all of those guys, that is sp- that is five spelled out, F-I-V-E, not the number five. And please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes or whatever podcast app you're using. It really helps us stand out and it really helps other people find us as well. Also, we still have a store. They haven't shut us down yet. So yet. if you want to get any of your cool Give Me Five podcast swag, you can... Find it at GiveMeFivePodcast.Threadless.com. Anything new, guys? Oh, we also have an Amazon link. Man, I screwed that up. So, so it's it's about to be holiday time, and you guys are going to go out and buy lots and lots of stuff. Well, Amazon, what they just gave like a – they already get, make like a billion dollars a day. A billion plus. Got like, yeah, and they just got like a $1.8 billion tax break from New York and – Oh, my uh, God. Did they really? Uh, and a city in northern Virginia, actually. Arlington? Uh, near that, yes. Yeah, so Long, Long Island City, 
and Arlington both just gave them, I think it was like a total of like $2.8 billion in tax breaks to move their facilities there. So they have more money than they know what to do with. Therefore, what you could do is go to our link because we don't have more money than we know what to do with. And you can buy all of your stuff through our link. It doesn't cost you any more. And a little bit of that money comes to us and pays for server space. And eventually for helper monkeys when Rob posts more offensive things on Instagram. <laughs> it Wait, did I do any more? No. Oh, okay. You will. <laughs> Make Amazon give us money. Yes. So that link can be found on our Libsyn page. Anything new, guys? Okay, so the bumper sticker on our on our store is going to be anything new, guys. <laughs> you guys, yes. Oh. Uh, what's this? So here we go. So I, I've got a little bit of a news thing here. Now, what you guys out there don't know is that you know we have discussions throughout the week about various things we're going to talk about. About two weeks ago, Rob was trying to hint about talking about uh, some stuff about the haunting of Hill House, and was talking about certain episodes without actually spoiling anything he was just like oh have you gotten to this episode yet have you gotten to that episode yet and and jimmy was on the text like no stop because he didn't want to be spoiled so jimmy is our anti-spoiler guy yes and and yep. i will say that jimmy we're surprised that you are here tonight yes because i saw a news story that we were convinced Antar- it was you yeah in antarctica <laughs> there was a scientist that stabbed his colleague for spoiling book endings Wow. So, so there's some scientists that are in Antarctica. They have um, very little to do there. Uh, Sergei Savitsky okay. had been basically trying to, or also known as uh, James McCurry, has been trying to use literature to pass the lonesome months at Bellingshausen Station on King George Island. Uh, but his colleague, Oleg Belogazov, was making it impossible to enjoy his hobby. He basically kept on telling him the ending of the books before he read them. That's so, so messed up. So just, the, eventually the 55-year-old Savitsky finally had enough and plunged a kitchen knife into his chest. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> can you imagine? Hold on, hold on. All right. Go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, can you imagine being locked away in this research station in the Antarctic, having nothing to do but read these books and every time you pick up a book and start reading it, you get halfway through it, and this schmuck yeah. goes, oh, yeah, he dies at the end. Yeah, like after the third one, I'm going to stab you with a fucking penguin. <laughs> I feel like you oh, bastard. Oh, oh, like, so Greg, Greg kept this story from me, um, and he uh, he wouldn't let me read it, wouldn't tell me about it. These guys spent four years together. <laughs> this went on for four years of Oleg, you know, every time um, Savitsky tried to to read a book to pass the time, Oleg would come in and be like, hey, man, it's, it ends, uh, John dies at end. <laughs> and I can't imagine, I mean, you're crazy enough already, but you've got this... <laughs> antagonist this villain he's like captain spoiler i couldn't imagine i mean i'm just gonna go out there and say that i think the guy who got stabbed probably deserved it if you look at the end there there was the only thing available is there's two russian tv channels which i can only imagine what that's like uh or there's a gym or reading in the research library that's or, the only things available. Or, so or pre- apparently kitchen knives in the kitchen are another form of entertainment. Yeah, you can do that, I guess. Um, and they're 55 and 52. 
so they know better. Well, no, no spring chickens. Um, I do, I do wow. like the the quote, which it says it's down to investigators to figure out what sparked the conflict. But both men are members of our team, which is basically the research institute guy saying, like, well, he kind of deserved it because <laughs> he totally did. Mm. So, so that was that was a little bit of news that I was a little concerned that Jimmy wouldn't be, you know, around. We we felt that you totally would have sympathized with him, Jimmy. I do. I mean, I can't imagine. You're like, I know myself personally, nearly every night I read myself to sleep. And uh, Rob, I'm currently reading The Land, and I'm really enjoying Are it. Are you? How, which book are you on? The first it, one? Uh, just the first one. Okay. But it's, it's a very cool, very cool mix of, and this is what's new with me, I guess. Um, it's a very cool mix of like an MMO and a real-time strategy, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Whereas the character becomes head of a village and he has to kind of manage that while he's managing his own quest. So uh, it's a lot of fun. And for me, I know I look forward to a book at the end of every night, uh-huh. you know, and if I'm getting settled into bed and somebody pops up on the side of my bed and goes, Hey, uh, <laughs> first of all, you're re- like, Whoa, what are you doing in my room? <laughs> that or unicorn at the end. So, or if he, he pops up and he goes, hey, uh, Richter dies in chapter nine, I would lose my mind. <laughs> and if that happened for four years, I would be completely mad in inside of a research station in Antarctica. I mean, what was wrong with the dude who was doing basically that? you're surprised he only got stabbed once or actually how many times did he get stabbed, Greg? I think um, just once. Just once. That showed some uh, restraint, in my opinion. <laughs> just stabbing him once. Anyway, um, that that was one yeah. little bit of news. Nice. We have got a trailer for the movie Detective Pikachu. That's a movie. I was never a Pokemon person. Never ha- I hated the cartoon. I hated when I worked at Blockbuster, and I'm actually kind of excited about this movie, but not really for me. For, for the little guy, his little head's going to explode when he sees it. Yeah. Um... I saw the and trailer. You mean Jimmy, when you say the little guy, no, yeah. yes, no. Um, I never played Detective Pikachu. It was a game on the 3DS. I was uh, made. Oh, I actually did not know that. Yes, um, I was made aware of this by one of my students who was 19. And said, "Um, oh, didn't you play the game?" I was like, "Dude, I had Pokemon Red and Blue. Like, I'm Game Boy Color, man." And Rob and I had to rent that out for you while we were in college. Thank you for that. I uh, I actually owned the original Game Boy, and I actually just found it the other day. Yeah, I still have it. It still works. Actually, it still mine it, still worked, and the batteries weren't dead. It, mine too. I was like, holy crap. Um, anyway, sorry, go on. You've got, why is his name? Ryan Reynolds voices yes. Pikachu. Uh, in the trailer, there are a, a total of 32 visible Pokemon. It's, uh, it's going to be live action. The, the Pokemon are creepily realistic looking. And I kind of like, I kinda like the, the versions of them. I thought that uh, it was neat seeing the like Bulbasaur guy wander around and the little Pikachu guy was cute. Yeah. So um, if you want to see images of all of the visible Pokemon, you can check out Nerdist and uh, let us know what you think. I personally, I, I know you kind of assigned this topic to me because I play Pokemon Go. But, um, yeah, I never watched the cartoons. I never played this game. But um, yeah, it's a thing. It looks okay. I, I don't know. It's, it has a very, like, 80s or 90s live-action vibe. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Like it, the where it's a little grimy, like smoke coming through the streets. A little, I don't know, something like that. It was very, for some reason, it reminded me of the original Ninja Turtle movie, or like, and for some reason, oh, the so other good. thing, the other thing that popped in my head was the Cap- the Garbage Pail Kids movie. Just the way, like these like weird little creatures were like popping around. But those are the kind of things I liked as a kid. So I'm kind don't of don't you thinking. call the Ninja Turtles weird little creatures? What's the matter with you? <laughs> Sorry, right. I shall I shall punish myself accordingly. Anyway, I, I got one other thing out there. Uh, if you are a TV fan, particularly a fan of the show Parks and Recreation, there was a fairly famous episode with called Little Sebastian about this like little tiny horse that was the only thing that people came to Pawnee, Indiana to see. And throughout the episode, Little Sebastian died, and it was uh, in episode sixteen, season three. There's your there's your spoiler, by the way. Um, Damn you, a terrible person. Yeah, so the, little, the, the little horse passed away, and that was what the episode was about. It it did eventually lead to a lovely song by uh, Chris Pratt's character, Andy. And uh, maybe we'll play a little bit of that. This song is called 5,000 Candles in the Wind. Up in horsey heaven, here's a thing. You trade your legs for a Anyway, so The Good Place is going on right now, and little Sebastian showed up in a recent episode of The Good Place, and here is your other spoiler. So if you're watching The Good Place, or you haven't watched it yet, but you plan on it, uh, The Good Place isn't really The Good Place. It's really The Bad Place, which is kind of revealed at the end of season one. So they basically have, have put little Sebastian in hell. So I don't know what little Sebastian did to get himself sent to hell, but he's in hell. That's that's some heavy stuff. Yeah, same horse too. So there's a he's the same horse actor. Real little Sebastian is still alive, which makes me happy. Well, I also have one little thing. Um, yes, please. Um, I, I know it's a little early, and I, I despise Christmas starting way too soon. However, the Christmas tree trail is open at Disney Springs, and Jen and I went and did that the other day. Um, they've got some nice trees up. But the thing that really caught my eye, and I sent you guys pictures um, via text, um, the thing that really caught my eye was a lot of the really clever, um, like, advertisement posters that Disney did. Yep, just saw them. Um, Which Rob will no doubt be posting on our Instagram page. I I will, I will. But uh, I think my favorite one was the Mulan one, because the last line of it actually made me laugh out loud when I saw it. Do you see the Mulan one? Bring honor to you, your family, and your cow. And your cow. Uh, it makes me chuckle. I I went and did the Christmas tree trail last year, and uh, it was really cool. It's just it's a it's a good date night. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know they have the 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 snow, and uh, if you're and it's you know, free, 
and it's free. Exactly. And it's free. And Everything Springs. about it is free. The parking is free. Yeah. Uh, walking by Girardelli is not free because you can't walk by Girardelli it, without buying a Sunday. It it can be free if you just go yeah. in and get the free sample that Girardelli offers. Yes, true. What is it? This is it. Peppermint Bart. Uh, at the moment, it was chocolate and caramel. Okay. Um, but they do have in. I don't think they had it last year, but this year, in the middle of the Christmas tree trail, like halfway through the trail, they've got a little treat station set up, and they've got like the sugar cookies and the ginger cookies, and they've got the frozen eggnog and the frozen hot chocolate, which is kind of weird when you say it like that. But it's because it's not really hot if it's frozen. But you know, anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, I had the frozen hot chocolate and it's actually pretty good. And the sugar cookie was good as well. I am really looking forward to going. So I guess I'll go ahead and, and kick things off here. Um, I finished the main storyline for Red Dead Redemption 2. And there was some concern for me that I might not be able to get a chance to go back. I'm trying not to spoil it here too much. But to go back and uh, wrap up a lot of the missions, I kind of, I regretfully kind of flew through the rest of the game because the last half of it was so engaging and it was so, well, all right, let me progress the story because I really want to see what happens. Um, So you do have a chance you can go back and complete all your challenges and everything, which is great. Uh, Red Dead Online should be dropping anytime now. So by the time of this recording, we might just be a couple of days off. So that'll bring a, a new, fresh aspect to the game. And it's going to have its own narrative, which is really exciting. Rockstar says that you'll be able to explore the, the game. The own narrative it's going to have is going to be, like, your mom is something. Oh, yeah. Um, how many 12-year-olds are going to tell you everything they know about your family? So, I don't know. Hopefully... You know, hopefully it's not Rust style where, you know, hopefully I think it would be cool if you can make yourself available for duels um, instead of getting plucked off by, you know, the the campers and the snipers who are bound to appear in any game. So uh, we'll see. You know, it's it's still I'm still having a lot of fun and I've, I've you know, I've, I've been down for a few days sick and, and I've, you know, played it uh, quite a bit and it's it's a lot of fun. So. If you haven't checked it out yet, do it. Online's coming soon if you're not a single-player kind of person. So. I'm I'm waiting for the online mode for you to tell me how it is and that I may end up picking it up. I will hopefully be able to do that in about two weeks. Oh, but wait, you don't have a PS4, do you? I do not have a PS4. We won't be playing together, but it'll be the same experience online. Feel free to buy it for me. Yeah, that's, that's what I got. Cool. So just as my little topic here. So I uh, went to EDC 2018. That is... Big electronic EDM concert festival they do in Orlando and in Vegas every year. Uh, EDC stands for Electric Daisy Carnival. It's, it's really cool because it's kind of like a big kind of open, sort of a hippie vibe. You know, everyone's dressed up in costumes and wearing flashing lights and stuff like that. Wasn't it? Wasn't it kicked out of um, what is it? L.A. Didn't they? Th- didn't they make them leave L.A.? I don't think so. I think it's always been in Vegas. No, it hasn't. I Le- believe well, it. I believe it used to be in L.A. Uh, and it the- was booted because they had too many uh, ODs. Research will get right on that. Yeah. Um, either way, there's there's a couple things. Just you know, I'm gonna. I really enjoy it every year. I've gone three of the past four years, and this year the, some of the headliners were Cascade, who actually spent some time in Orlando, I believe. Martin Garrix, uh, Alice in Wonderland, and Bass Nectar, who everyone went nuts for. Uh, there was a artist I was not aware of, or a DJ I was not aware of. His name was Vini Vici, and oh my god, his stuff was so cool. Like it was really high energy. It was 
I would say almost borderline synth wave, but not quite. It was very, it was kind of very similar to the Dance with the Dead stuff we like, but not as dark. So I really enjoyed him a lot. Um, so there are two main big stages. There's one that's all very decorative and has water and fire and fireworks and lights and big statues holding up a, like a giant heart. And it was very cool. The other one's very like techno, techno looking or technical looking. Uh, the circuit, that one's called the circuit grounds. The other one's called kinetic field. And a couple, but a couple interesting things. Even, I'm, oh, there was a, there's a beach stage, which was sponsored by Corona. There was like a tent where you could dance and do stuff. So very awesome concert. I highly suggest, you know, going to it in general, um, despite what Rob said and what I'm about to say. So I am not usually a VIP kind of person. And one, cause I'm cheap Two because I don't feel like one should pay for VIP type stuff normally. However, I always do VIP with this one because I'd much rather just kind of see the show and not have to worry about cutting through crowds and standing amongst other people. So the VIP gives you like a raised area on the side. In the past, it's had like a giant ball pit you could jump into to to leave the VIP area. Um, This year, they had a big pool and you get your own bathrooms and stuff like that. So one of the things that happened was I actually went into that bathroom and it was nice and air conditioned and and, you know, I'm kind of peeing into the, the little toilet thing and I look down and there's a giant bag of cocaine laying in there. <laughs> Are you sure it wasn't a bag of sugar? Pretty sure it was pretty, it was pretty well tied up. It was like, you know, I would say a little smaller than a ping pong ball. You know, like mm. when they take the bag and wrap it tight, it was about the size of a ping pong ball, a little smaller, uh, a lot of cocaine. And I was urinating on it. I was like, oh, and then mm. I was leaving as I was leaving uh-huh. the bathroom. Normally I would not talk to anyone in the bathroom. That's kind of one of my big rules, but I was like, as I walk by a guy, I'm like, there's some coke in the toilet. And I go to wash my hands and I hear the guy go, whoa, there is. Why would someone leave that in there? You're peeing on it, like, right now. Everyone else did, too. But So that was one thing that was kind of interesting. Uh, the other thing was, you know, I put on earplugs because it's loud. And I prefer being able to hear later in my life. So I put on earplugs. I was wearing a hoodie, you know, so I'm, I don't try to talk to anybody. I just kind of watch the music and dance a little bit and whatever. And dude kind of taps me on the shoulder, and he's like, the stage is on fire. And I'm like, yeah, it's awesome. And he's like, no, the stage is on fire. I was like, what? And I looked up, and so in between each of the, the sets, they do like this like kind of intro to kinetic field. And it's, it's very elemental, so they'll have like blue graphics with blue lights and a lot of – and there's like actual water fountains spraying and stuff like that. And then they'll have like green, and it'll make it look like there's vines crawling up the set with like projection and stuff. And of course, when they do fire, they do, there's fire flash, fire things that are, I don't know, 15 feet tall on front of the stage. Then they have the one that's kind of like a half circle of fire that goes like on either side of the stage. And then they had these fire coming from these spires at the top of the stage. Well, one of the, the spires actually caught on fire and no one really noticed because the DJ came out immediately afterwards and was doing his thing. And he got through like one or two songs and he's like, how's everyone doing out there? And then based on his reaction, he's like, oh, I think we've got a situation as the stage was like burning away. So you, you might have seen some pictures of that or video of that on our uh, on our Instagram page. Uh, the artist was Kezo since he didn't get a chance to go. He had to stop and they eventually gave him a set at the, the beach thing, which is not a big stage. But Oh, well, that's good at least. Yeah, so he got to do that. And then uh, it was interesting because everyone, I'm sure that everybody over at the other stage when like they had to stop the stage for like an hour to fix it, they had like all these people like made the mass transit over to the, the circuit ground. So whoever the artist was there all of a sudden got twice as many fans as they were expecting, which is good for them. And they were good too. And then but within an hour, man, they got it fixed and nice. they 
they, you know, no one got hurt. The Orlando Fire Department did an awesome job putting it out, even though it was pretty high up in the air. I wouldn't even know where, how high it was. It was, it was high. So the Orlando Fire Department did a good job. The, and, and one of the cool things about this show, I, I, as where I was, I was along one of like the pathways out and there were some um, security guards and uh, uh, police and paramedics like leaning on the wall because it was like a security wall. And almost every kid that walked by him thanked the police and thanked the, the paramedics and shook their hands as they went by. Nice. And I thought, which I thought was really cool. It was like, it's always a really good crowd. I've never seen any problems there, which I, I like, and I've been to a ton of concerts. So I thought that was kind of neat. Awesome show. If you ever get a chance to see it, it's, even if you just look on YouTube, it's just a really cool thing to do. I'm going to try to make you guys go at some point. And by the way, EDC moved from LA to Las Vegas in 2011. Yes. they had numerous issues, um, some of which were drug-related, some of which were politics-related, uh, various conflicts of interest, things going on, but but they moved in 2011. Well, it hasn't happened here. They've been here for 10 years and counting, I think. Maybe 12, but either way. That's all I got about that. Uh, well, now we're on to the, I'm going to say sad portion of our show. Uh, the other day, we got the news that Stan Lee had passed away at the age of 95 years old. 95. Yeah, so he lived a very full life. He did, he did. And when I broke the news to some of my coworkers, I had to laugh because I told them that he passed away at 95. And they're like, oh, that's that's so sad. And immediately one of my coworkers goes, what did he die from? And I'm like, he wrecked his Harley on the interstate. At 95 miles an hour. He was 95 years old. What do you think he died from? Yeah. I'm convinced Uh, that's why I saw that. I was telling Jimmy earlier today, I I saw like a shower thought that was like dying of old age is like dying of not dying. Yeah, that's about right. So just a little bit of stuff here. Uh, I Every so often I'll get on a kick. And for a while I was very much on a kick of how did the comic book industry begin? How did it start? And it did kind of grow out of the advertising industry where the advertising artists were not getting paid as much. So when they were not doing art for, you know, suitcase companies and Coca-Cola and whatever else, they were doing little comic strips like the Bazooka Joe ones and little things like that. And eventually someone decided, let's compile all these into a book. And this is a very simplification of it. Decided to compile all these things into a book. And that eventually grew to be comics. But back in the day, they were very kind of one-off things, little quick jokes or, you know, the super the hero comes in stops a stops a villain but there's really no you know once they stop the villain or untie the girl from the tracks then you never see any of those characters again except for the hero um so either way there's a lot of books about this and if you guys are interested at all in comics or if you just want a really interesting book about something you probably don't know about uh, a lot of the stuff from this this thing came from a book called Marvel Comics the Untold Story written by Sean Howe a fascinating book i is one of those i could not put down and it really kind of shows the just all the craziness that went along with all these, you know, things that eventually morphed into a billion dollar movie industry or a fifty thousand dollar movie industry if you're DC. <laughs> oh, uh, I see what you did there. Greg got okay. jokes. Um, I do. Yeah, I, I mean, I'd be interested in checking this out. I, I have uh, a lot of books ahead of me that I'd, I plan on reading, but um, if you say that you couldn't put it down, then I'm sure it's the same for me. It's a very interesting story, and you you end up learning a lot about how things got created. But so anyway, back to Stan Lee. That's if you want to learn more about him, that's a great book to check out. And as we said earlier, uh, Stan Lee was born Stanley Martin Lieber to Celia and Jack Lieber. They were actually Romanian uh, uh, immigrants. 
he was born in 1922. I mm-hmm. am a Romanian immigrant, at least several years removed. But and you were also born in 1922. I was. I was. I'm immortal. Yeah. Um, if if you guys aren't aware, and Greg, I'll let you get you know deeper into this. But looking at the list of uh, characters that Stanley is either responsible or co-responsible for, are many of the characters that I couldn't imagine growing up without. Mm-hmm. I I can't imagine looking back on on my thirty four years and saying, wait, there there was no Spider Man, mm-hmm. uh, because they were so influential. I mean, you've got uh, just down the very short list. You have Spider Man, Hulk, Black Panther, Black Widow, Scarlet Witch, or the original X Men, Juggernaut, Mary Jane, J Jonah Jameson, Fantastic Four, uh, Doctor Doom, Daredevil, Iron Man, Thor, Doctor Strange, Groot, and uh, Stripperella. Yeah, oh, definitely Stripperella. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I I forgot Stripperella. Now, didn't, I didn't. Wasn't Stanley? Didn't Stanley say at one point that he was responsible or or involved with the creation of every character that the Marvel universe has put out? Uh, no, because that's not true. Because there was Captain America and Bucky and all those guys, Red Skull. They came out before he was associated with the right, but they weren't Marvel Comics then. Yeah, but there's been a lot more. I mean, there's there are other groups like you know some of the. There was Ditko. Ditko had a lot to do with some of it. Yeah, uh, Kirby had a lot to do with it. And yes, they he might have written almost every one, but there's been a lot since then. I mean, he was he was uh, editor in chief up until what 1976, something so like that. Yeah, there's been a lot more since then. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's amazing that uh, movies. And this is a loose number that I got from the New York Times today. Um, movies based on his characters have made over 24 billion dollars. And that's not counting the TV shows. That's not counting, you know, I'm not sure. I'm sure it's more than that, but that's a lot of money for a group of characters. And, you know, you've seen movie, almost every one of those characters been in a movie. Actually, all of them now and looking up the list as well as the villains. Um, so even though he's created all of these things, one of the like the greatest creations was himself. You know, he marketed himself very well and he made in a way made comics cool. You know, he he brought Marvel Comics to the forefront under his guidance. Marvel trounced DC. DC was yeah. the, was it was yeah. Detective Comics and yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, Stan Lee was the superhero of superheroes, but you know, he was king. Yep. So we're going to talk a little bit about his life and focus more on that than the, the sad end of his life. So let's uh, get started here. So, um, he yeah. actually started in the comics industry just as a gopher. He was a teenager. <clears throat> he got offered a job. He got paid $8 a week at a comic company called Timely Comics. And they focused on war comics because of what, around what time it was. Mm-hmm. And in 1941, uh, he got his first writing credit writing a Captain America story. And within about two years, he was he was an editor there. Uh, so he wasn't, I think he was not even 18 or 19 yet. Mm-hmm. I don't really, yeah, I guess it was eight, he was 18. Um, at 19... He joined the army, and he vol- he volunteered to join the army. So here he is on this up and coming thing. Remember, comics back then it was something you bought, read, and then threw away, which is why some of them are so valuable right now. Mm-hmm. So he wasn't super thrilled with what he was doing, but also he was very pa- fairly patriotic. So he volunteered to join the army, and he was assigned to the Signal Corp, and he earned the title playwright, which is what you what Rob was interested in. Mm-hmm. And basically, mm-hmm. um, he was writing for the military, writing what was going on, writing what they, what they would show on the newsreels. Um, he was, there was only, I think nine people that, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. 
that had that, um, one of which was Frank Capra, who went on to It's a Wonderful Life. Uh, Charles Adams, who went on to The Adams Family. These were all, like, they worked together. And uh, wow. William Saroyan, who, he wrote a bunch of short stories and, and short films and things, and poems and stuff. Um, and he served there till 1945. Um, one kind of very cool thing was the U.S. Army actually tweeted, which I always feel weird saying the U.S. Army tweeted or the Navy tweeted. <laughs> um, rest in peace, soldier, with a little biography of him when he passed away, which I thought was kind of a nice little tribute. After Stan Lee got back to the States from the war, he married Joan Clayton Bucock, who was a hat model, actually. Hey, hey all right. <laughs> Something in common. Jimmy Moonlighted is a hat model. I did, did, back in the 40s. Yeah, I don't know why you walked away from that. Mm. It was very lucrative. Uh, and they had their first child, Joan Celia Lee, or J.C. Lee, who's going to come back later in the story, obviously, uh, in 1950. And then he rejoined Timely Comics, which was now known as Atlas Comics. Mm. So you can kind of tell there's been a lot of, there's a lot of change in the comics world. Yeah. And, and, uh, and well, one of the, one of the things driving the change was that there was really no war anymore after this point. And the war comics were kind of faltering because there was no, you know, there was no reason to make a comic about punching Hitler because Hitler was dead. Uh, crime comics actually went, went down in popularity as well. Um, but one thing that was really popular was superhero comics. They started growing in popularity, but Atlas comics didn't have any. Mm. Until uh, him and fellow World War II veteran Jack Kirby uh, created the Fantastic Four in 1960. So the we first started family of comics. Yep. What do you mean yeah, the first family of comics? Um, the Fantastic Four was like the first superhero team that was actually a family. So it had a different dynamic. It wasn't just a superhero that lived alone or kind of went off on their own. It was a not only a superhero team, but they actually they bickered like a family. They had family problems. They argued they you know they gotcha. had a kid to worry about that kind of stuff it was it that didn't happen up until that point okay and and refresh my memory because reed richards and susan were married and then the human torch was susan's brother right yes and ben Grimm was um reed richards kind of like good friend right uh that was 1960 when they created uh the fantastic four and jack kirby and uh stan lee would go on to have a a really you know long relationship of, of creating characters uh, including spider-man in 1963 iron man and x-men and the hulk now wasn't that when they also changed their name and actually became the marvel comics that we that was today? in 1961 correct yeah so 19 between 1960 and 1963 they created that group of characters that has made billions of dollars spider-man iron man x-men and the hulk um stuff that people grew up with in the 70s and the 80s 90s now it's, it's in, that's an insane amount of creation in one what, three year period. Almost arguably among their most popular characters as well, aren't they? Yeah, and it's interesting. Like we, this isn't really scripted out, but all of these characters were based on you know little little parts of you know Stan's life in a way, or things that he was interested in. Like you know, Iron Man came as about as a dare. They were like, could you make someone that sells military weapons? With back at that time, the hippies were not quite there yet but there's a pretty big anti-war sentiment it's like well could you make some asshole that sells weapons become a hero he's like okay let's see what we can do there's iron man you know can you show what it's like growing up as a teenager going through all these changes and you know people are or there's desegregation there's you know people are hitting puberty and finding out that they're gay and the x-men was basically in some ways an allegory to just to various changes that happen in teenagers lives you know i'm going I'm, I have 
zits now or I feel weird or I feel outsized in my body, you know, and like, and that's basically where the beast and all these other characters came from. Uh, the Hulk, you know, someone that's enraged and angry and can't do anything about it because he's just a little nerdy scientist. But And then, of course, all the character flaws that Iron Man had. Exactly. Like alcoholism and stuff like that. And we're going to talk to a little bit about some of that stuff. I guess, you know, that's actually where, where some of the difference that brought Marvel above DC around this time. DC's characters were gods. You know, there was the only flaws they had were like object based, you know, kryptonite was Superman's flaw. It was a weapon that could be used against him. But how many stories can you really write about that? Yeah, they, they were more weaknesses than flaws. Yeah. You know, the, one of the other ones that was I thought was a little weird was Wonder Woman. You know, her weakness for many years was she couldn't, she lost her powers if she was tied up by a man. <laughs> now, I don't the think different you... Different times. <laughs> now, I don't think that you would be all that surprised to find out that the guy that created Wonder Woman had a little bit of a bondage fetish. Oh, uh, yeah. Wore it on his sleeve. You know, her special weapon is a lasso. So her only power is, or her only weakness is she can be tied up by a by a guy, yet she carries a rope with her? Yeah, exactly. Or, or how about Green Lantern's weakness, the color yellow? Yeah, exactly. It was very much like that. So you only got these one-note stories. Oh, his only villain is yellow. You know, that kind of thing. But Marvel had like had actual character flaws they had things wrong with them you know spider-man was a klutz and a nerd he was you know he would be in school and he would trip and drop his books he couldn't talk to the girls his people you know he would be stuffed in his locker by was a flash is that the guy's name mm-hmm. who of course in the movie became another nerd which i thought was weird as did yeah. you you know uh bruce banner had rage issues there was alcoholism and, tar- and heart troubles for Tony Stark. Very real things that led to a lot more stories than just Luke- Lex Luthor is spraying Superman with kryptonite dust. Well, and I think it also made their characters much more relatable. And that's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why they became more. Exactly. Uh, now, in doing the research, there was not a lot to say about the 60s through like 1971. And it's not... Because nobody can remember it. Yeah, pretty much. Now, basically, that's the time when he was just creating all these characters. And that's there's such a long list that that kind of makes up that time period. It's not like he was going beyond that point. He was basically scripting hundreds of comics mm-hmm. and he would do the Marvel method, which he would script out the comic, but not what people are actually saying so much as look at, at the beginning of this comic, Spider-Man's here. Then he does this, then this person dies and then that happens and it ends here. And then the artist would fill in the blanks and that's how he was able to do such huge amount of work. Now, is, is that an actual thing, or is that just something that you used to describe how the, how they were doing that, it? Like, that is the actual term. That's what they used in, like, back then. Like, when they were hiring someone, they were like, you have to use the Marvel method. Okay. Like, you need to be able to work around what he says, and you get the beginning, the middle, and the end, and you have to get them from point A to point B. Gotcha. Which is also why there is a lot of stuff up in the air when people are like, well, yeah, he created Black Panther, but he really only said what the characters were going to do at certain times. Mm-hmm. And the actual personality of the characters came from the artist and the descriptors. Right. So there is some controversy there. Um, right. Well, I, I don't think I don't think he was claiming that he that he did all of that. I think he was just claiming that he was involved in the in the initial creation or formation of the actual character itself. Yeah, definitely. There's no doubt about that. Sometimes the visuals, sometimes that. I mean, there was every one of these characters had his fingerprint one way or the other. And I think that's what he was saying because because I was looking up quotes the other day because I quoted him at work for for our daily board and one of the quotes I came across was that um, 
was that he said that he he was responsible or that he was responsible or partially responsible for every character that Marvel had ever created. It's a lot of them. I don't think it's all of them. Mm-hmm. But also around this time, there was a, f- a couple other kind of interesting things. He was he had not been happy in that world because, which is one of the reasons he went off to war because he was like, "What am I doing? I'm writing kids' books. My friend is working and building rockets. My other friend's doing this and that. You know, whatever." But right around this time when he was he was busy as all get out, he was constantly working, but he was at his happiest. And he also did the um, the Stan soapbox. Now, do you remember the Stan soapbox little articles at the end of each comic? No, I do not. I do not. So it was, it was like the last page of the comic, and it ran through the at least the early nineties that I remember. And it was basically just a little article about you know something what was on his mind. It could have been a new movie that was coming out. It could have been just a bunch of different things. Uh, there is a one that was written um, in 1968. I'm going to read it. It's a little long, so I apologize if you get bored. But it's interesting because it's gone viral again, um, a picture of it. So 1968. So this is right after the, the, um, a four-year period of race riots. And, you know, they passed, of course, the, the desegregation, but it wasn't really quite, no one was really, well, some people were happy about it, but a large group of people were not happy about it. Yeah, it wasn't universally accepted. Yeah. So he basically wrote, this is from the column, let's say it right on the line, bigotry and racism are among the deadliest social ills plaguing the world today. But unlike a team of costume supervillains, they can't be halted with a punch in the snoot or a zap from a ray gun. The only way to destroy them is to expose them, to reveal them for the insidious evils they really are. The bigot is an unreasoning hater, one who hates blindly, fanatically, indiscriminately. If his hang-up is black men, he hates all black men. If a redhead once offended him, Rob, he hates all redheads. Oh, I don't understand how that could possibly happen. <laughs> um, if some foreigner beat him to a job he's down on all foreigners he hates people he's never seen he's never known or hates people he's never known with equal intensity with equal venom now we're not trying to say that it's unreasonable for one human being to bug another but although anyone has the right to dislike another individual it's totally irrational patently insane to condemn an entire race to despise an entire nation to vilify an entire religion sooner or later we must all learn to judge each other on our own merits sooner or later if man is ever to be worthy of his destiny we must fill our hearts with tolerance, for then, only then, we will be truly worthy of, a, of the concept that man was created in the image of God, a God who calls us all his children. And, he, and this is one of the ones he actually did not end with Excelsior, uh, Pax S. Justitia, Stan. And I think that's crazy that that was in 1968 in books that went out to millions of people back then. And I don't know, if that, it's, it's very uh, prescient, I guess. It's, it's kind of cool that it's still coming around now. So Yeah, definitely. Uh, so moving on from from that, which is, you know, there wasn't a lot of individual surprises in his life from the 60s, early 70s. Uh, but do you guys remember the Comics Code Authority, that little stamp on the front of the comics? I do not. I do remember the stamp. So that was a big deal. There was a big, there was a big fear of comics and like, it led to some really stupid rules. Like video games? There's a book. Yeah, very much like that. There was a guy, a hack, basically, psychologist that basically came out and said, you know, comics are ruining America. And he wrote a book, and I wish I remembered the name of it because I would have if I didn't try to talk about it. Um, the Seduction of the Innocent or something. I'm looking up comic seduction. I have a good luck. <laughs> seduction. You're going to get all kinds of results. By the way, when I looked up comic seduction, the first thing that popped up was a Harley Quinn costume that you could buy. Um, it was uh, Seduction yeah, of the Innocent. Real quick. <laughs> Rob is not going to be on the rest of the episode. Uh, so Seduction of the Innocent by Frederick Wortham, a psychologist who basically said, kids are what's reading these things. And 
you know, there's stories about vampires, there's stories about zombies, and there's horror comics, and there's all this stuff, which by today's standards, they were pretty tame. Some of them weren't, but... So they basically made up this group of rules, and the comics code, the comic CCA, the Comics Code of Authority, got these stamps that would put on the comics that were safe for kids. But the rules were like, you can't have any drugs being the thing. You can't ever have the villains win. So, like, think about today, the you know the movies that we would see now or imagine if the villains couldn't have a victory for a movie or couldn't kill one of the heroes. And that was part of this, the code and Marvel and DC and some of the, and all the major comic companies had to follow it because if not, there are stores that wouldn't carry them. And so anyway, um, Rob still not talking cause he's uh, looking uh, up comic seduction. <laughs> Actually, the first thing that I got was that book the, by Frederick Wortham. Yeah, I got that. It was as I was typing it in. Oh, seduction of the innocent was the first thing that came up. Yeah, comics very Bohemian, yeah. Greg. It was as I was typing in and I saw it, it auto-corrected with the comic seduction Harley Quinn uh, costume or something. Nice. Anyway, so in 1971, the U.S. government actually came to Stanley and said, we would like, we're seeing a problem with drugs in the 1990, the 19, late 1960s, early 70s, big drug, LSD, cocaine, all that stuff. So can you please do a comic about the bad effects of drug use? Yeah, so... uh Issues uh, 96 through 98 uh, revealed that Peter Parker's roommate, Harry Osborne Jr., uh, was um, popping pills. Um, basically, as, as Harry Osborne Sr. was becoming the Green Goblin again. Uh, the story pretty much culminated with Spider-Man showing Green Goblin that his son was addicted, causing him to revert back to the non-evil Harry Osborne Sr. So kind of what the some of the early Spider-Man movies were about. Not early, but some of the Spider-Man movies were about. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that was and they to the CCA, it got denied the stamp of approval. Yeah, so they were like, "Look, wait a second, hold on." The government commissioned this, <laughs> and you, who are you guys really? It was a, not a government board; it was just a group, a, a business group. You know, we're releasing this anyway, so they they ran it, and actually, you know, the head of the company, uh, it was a shock that they would actually do that, mm-hmm. and because those issues were so popular. And sold so well and actually did a good thing. They actually changed the code. Nice. So we went up against it, which was... And the code basically stuck around till maybe the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I forget when it finally went away. It was it was much later than you think. Like some either in the 90s or 2000s. And that's also kind of when the, the time when comics went from being kid stuff to able to discuss things like, you know, The Watchmen or Dark Knight Returns in, the, in 1986. Address era. much more adult issues. Exactly. You know, why... Why Frank Miller was able to do that and stuff like 300, mm-hmm. where it's violent and oh, true to life. Marvel never has felt like they needed to show Peter Parker's uh, little Peter Parker. That's true. Yes. I like the. Are you Googling Peter Parker's little Peter Parker? Because don't do I that. <laughs> no, I'm looking uh, at when it went away. Okay. Oh, all right. While you're looking that up, um, in 1981, um, Stan took on the task of trying to license Marvel properties for movies and TV. So he moved to Los uh, that Angeles. Was, that was 2010, by the way, that finally went away. Oh, wow. Yeah. But that, but that was also, I think it was by like the mid seventies that, um, that Stan became a, a big, big, uh, force or I, I guess a figurehead in the, in the Marvel company and, and almost, almost strictly synonymous with it. I mean, when you thought of Marvel, you thought of Stan Lee. Mm-hmm. And that gave him the power that, in, or basically gave him the clout that in 1981. Yep. Yep. 
he was able to move to LA and pursue um what we now know as uh what would you say 24 billion dollar you know industry yeah. industry just 20, I thought it was 28 but in, in movies um, alone yeah so there's like what's interesting is like I said the whole thing about he was not super happy with being in just comics like I'm just a comics writer and he was really excited about stuff and then they were like look why don't you go to LA and do more like he was still editing he was still cross country basically because Marvel is in New York but he got to go out there and try to get adaptations and one thing I could not find is if he had anything to do with the Hulk TV show because that was right around this time like a little bit later but when he would have finally got a foothold but so I don't know if he had anything to do with that well there is a picture of him <laughs> standing with Lou Ferrigno and um, the guy that played Thor in full makeup for, I guess there was a television special special called uh, Hulk Goes to Court or The Trial yep. of the Hulk. Trial something. of the Hulk. It was, yep. And we're going to talk about that later, I think. Mm-hmm. I never I saw it. it. I've got to see it. I've heard of it. Um, Kevin Smith talks lovingly about it, which can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on. I don't opinion. really listen to anything Kevin Smith says. Well, there you go. So one of the things, and I will say that my first introduction to Stan Lee as a person was the cartoon show Spider-Man and his amazing friends. Yeah. And that was my, that was mine and Rob's era, not quite Jimmy's era, but you probably might've seen episodes and it was a Saturday morning cartoon. And Rob, do you remember the characters? Um, I, I don't, but, but I think I told you, I, I told you earlier that that is what, I will always remember Stanley for because he was the he was the narrator, the voiceover on the cartoons, and he had such a distinctive voice. and I and I will always remember Stanley as the the narrator from the Spider Man cartoon. Yeah, so it was Spider Man, Iceman, and Firestar were the three characters, oh, that's and they were students at Empire State University. What's interesting is that the voiceovers didn't start till season two. It was a three season thing. Mm-hmm. which seemed like more than that, considering they just played it every Saturday. Um, and they, they added him in as a voiceover to make things a little more coherent. And then after that became so popular and realized it was really good for the company, they actually added him to season one again. Like they went back and put him in season one, which was kind of interesting. Oh, nice. And there were there were some movies. There was a Fantastic Four movie by uh, Roger Corman and a Captain America movie, which actually did come out. Oh, really? The Roger Corman Fantastic Four movie did not see the light of day. The Captain America movie, I think, did. It sure did. Have you seen it, Jimmy? I've, I've seen pictures of it, and it's just a dude with, like, blue spandex on wearing a motorcycle helmet. It's pretty great. Yep, there's a, there was a motorcycle. I believe it was came out in 1990. Yep, And Captain America was played by, if I remember correctly, that was Matt Salinger. So it was not him. I thought it was. So Matt Salinger, who was I, who was uh, apparently in one of the Revenge of the Nerds movies, also, but it was not good. Is really what we're coming down to. Um, so both of them failed, and that pretty much put the end to Marvel movies. Ha ha. Um, but around that time, that movie I said came out in 1990. So um, he did step away from daily Marvel duties. Go ahead, laugh, Rob. I said daily Marvel duties. Go ahead. You said duty. I did, and he instead became the chairman emeritus and. Of Marvel, so he got about a million dollars a year just to do voiceovers and talk about Marvel at conventions and meet with people and stuff. Uh, he also started a couple companies, uh, Stanley Media, nineteen ninety eight, and another company called POW, which stands for something, um, in two thousand one. And ev- eventually, and I have it on the script, but did you guys know what really 
caused the Marvel movie world to blow up? Um, no. I, I said X-Men. It was actually Blade. Blade oh, was, was it? The, the first bit. Like, oh, yeah. Huge, huge Marvel movie, which when Blade blew up, that caused a little bit of a, like a mini feeding frenzy. Because it was also right around the time that Marvel was going bankrupt. And they were selling mm-hmm. off their movie properties. They're like, look, we had a hit. What do you want? That's why Fox ended up with X-Men. And Sony ended up with Spider-Man. Because they were like, well, this movie made $70,000 or $70 million on a $30 million budget. Happened to be good. But that's why all of these movies went to different companies because of that. Uh, Did you know, uh, sorry to interject, but I found this out last night in a uh, deep YouTube search of uh, videos of abandoned places. Um, The headquarters of the vampire stalking group in Blade 3, which was largely forgettable, the headquarters was set aboard the McBarge or the... uh, friendship 500 which was a floating mcdonald's on a barge built for the 1986 vancouver world's fair i did not know that that's cool i did not you're welcome i like deep dives into random youtube videos unless i've been dropping some knowledge on us (laughs) now now i'm watching um youtube videos of uh dead malls and that's really really kind of fascinating but go on sorry to interject not a problem that leads us to the, the movie world now uh, Stanley did not necessarily create the movies. He had very little creative input into the movies that we see and know as like the Marvel universe, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. But he did basically create the characters and the backstories for all of these movies. So what you're seeing on the screen basically came from his mind. Um, and of course, as a result of that, to give him a little bit of credit, they do get him as, in as many cameos or they did get him in as many cameos as possible. So a little Easter egg for the fans. Now, everyone knows who he is now because of that. But when it first happened, only the comics nerds were like, whoa, or the people that grew up in the 80s with him. Mm-hmm. Now, wasn't wasn't he in actually every Marvel MCU movie? I'm not sure. I'm guessing yes, one way or the other, either with a photo or whatever. There's so many Marvel movies that are not part of the MCU that I can't like. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, but it, it's most likely. And we're not sure if he'll be in the next Avengers movie. I don't I think, think he's, he's I think he's filmed one or two cameos already, but I don't know that he's got there are two more left. Yeah. Um there's gonna be one in the Spider Man movie, which I uh yeah, in Spider Man into the Spider Verse. And also Ralph wrecks the internet. What would have been a fun little cameo is now gonna be a little sad. I imagine that he that at least one of those movies will have a a uh, a tag at the end that says dedicated mm-hmm. to the memory of Stanley. Yeah, I would guess they should probably do that for a lot of the Marvel movies, if it was a character created by him. So uh, coming up till now, basically a lot of uh, meet and greets and stuff like that. You know, he was, as I said, he was 90 something years old. So he was, he was still doing the the comic show circuit. Um, I got a chance to meet him in 1992. He, Mm -hmm. he created a character called Ravage for the 2099 universe. It was okay. It might've actually been the last Marvel character he created, but I'm not sure. I tried to do research on that earlier. I couldn't find it, but he was doing a signing in a very small little venue in Boca Raton, Florida. And I went to that show and it's just a little room that they probably did boy scout uh, meetings in or something like that. And he was mm-hmm. sitting at a table. You could just walk right up, get autographs, have a poster autographed by him and that issue of Ravage autographed by him. And it's so different now where if you went to meet him now, you were what, how much was it Rob for some of those meet and greets? Oh God, it was, it was at least a hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I remember Megacon a couple of years ago when he was there. Um, 
there was, you know, there's meatloaf and yeah, of course there's like guards standing there kind of like, what are you taking a picture of? What are you, huh? What are you doing? And Stan Lee's like thing went back and around and like behind a bunch of, you know, step and repeats and yeah, those fuzzy walls that they um, put up and stuff. Yeah. Um, if you ever take a picture of meatloaf and he decides to beat you up, I will pay for your hospital bill. So there. All right. I'll, I'll try and do it next Megacon. You can always claim you got beaten up by a meatloaf. Do that selfie thing where you're like, oh, I was just checking my makeup. Exactly. So doing a lot of shows. There were some medical things here and there. So we knew there was some, some trouble because there were a few shows he had to drop out of. Yeah. And he did say he was going to tone that down. And then there were in the past year, uh, in 2017, his wife, so, you know, he stayed married through all this. There were some, there were some cheating accusations that probably won't that get into too much. To yeah. <laughs> He was a little bit of a, of a playboy, and I mean that in the sense of like hanging out at Playboy Mansion and stuff. But his wife Joan or passed away, in- being mistaken for Hugh Hefner and Iron Man. Exactly, exactly. By Tony Stark, and uh, she passed away in 2017, and his his health deteriorated very quickly. You know, she was the love of his life. They stayed together for all these years through all of these moves and him working all the time, and you know, her there was other troubles. So when his health deteriorated. His daughter, JC, got a restraining order against Kaya Morgan, who was her, who was his caretaker at the time. And there was just a bunch of weird little stories. You know, like, was he in control of his own Twitter account? There's Twitter again. You know, there was an incident of armed men showing up at his house and demanding money this past year. Uh, they fired a nurse, and the nurse and manager, and there was accusations that the nurse was, was being used to uh, give him showers, like naked showers with him, things like that, and... Just a lot of weirdness that you could kind of see the writing on the wall that people are starting to take advantage of someone who had aged. And in in February, they said that he was battling pneumonia. He was uh, mm-hmm. taken to Sinai Medical Center. And on November 12th, as we said before, he passed away. Uh, we don't know what his final words were to... We do know. Well, what we don't know his final words were. were at the hospital. Sure. But to his friend, Roy Thomas, and he said, uh, God bless take care of my boy Roy and that was to Ray Thomas who he um who succeeded uh with his blessing as editor-in-chief at Marvel back in the 70s it has not come out what his actual last words were but he was always known for ending his his articles his Stan Soapbox articles with the term Excelsior which was also the term the slogan for New York as well so Stan Excelsior and that brings us to our top five of the evening. I'll give me five, and that will be the your top five Stan Lee cameos. I we're not going to argue this out because I think that's impossible. Yeah, yeah. So I'll go ahead and go first, as it is my lot in life, as Greg says. And that is uh, the scene in Black Panther where T'Challa and Martin Freeman's character are discussing. The evening over a uh, over a, a, a was it craps mm-hmm. and um, T'Challa gets up to go take care of business and um, Martin Freeman's character says, uh, "What what was his name? Agent uh, Agent Martin Freeman? Agent, yeah, we'll go with that. Agent, Agent Hobbit. Agent Hob- Agent Bilbo says, um, but you won. Where are you going? And you know these." Uh, elderly man's hand slide into the picture and he says well i i guess i'll i'll just slide these over here for safekeeping uh just to keep them warm and it, the camera comes up and it's stanley nice. uh my number four although i said i don't listen to anything that kevin smith says i thought mall rats and um 
what was the other one? The video store one. Clerks? Clerks, not video store, but supermarket, whatever. Uh, I thought those were really funny, and you'll get to it here, but uh, I think you might, maybe. I don't know your life, but uh, that would be his cameo in Mallrats. Um, it's outside of the Marvel, Marvel Universe and actually took place, took place quite a while before it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number three was from Thor Ragnarok, where uh, Thor gets his haircut, and who else but to do it other than Stan Lee? who comes mm-hmm. out and says, don't you move. My hands aren't as steady as they used to be. Uh, you know, very kind of self-aware and self-deprecating Stanley was. Uh, number two is Hulk in 2003. Now, not the greatest movie. No. Uh, pretty bad. But it was uh, maybe the first time we saw him in a uh, in a Marvel cameo, and it was such a big deal. It was so short. But it was him and Lou Ferrigno walking out of a building and it was just kind of like, hey, what? Wait, what? It, it was that kind of first moment for me. It was, it was the highlight of the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was the only good part of that movie, really. And my number one is um, from The Simpsons. He's just uh, hanging out in the comic book store, and uh, he's putting all of the Marvel comics in front of the DC comics. And and there's a kid there, and uh, he shoves the thing into the Batmobile. And he's saying, yeah, it fits just fine. And he just, like destroys the Batmobile while he's doing it. Um, that clip is hilarious. You can find it on YouTube, as you can all these cameos. But uh, mm-hmm. I'll let you guys, one of you guys know, go next. I think uh, I can go next. Go ahead. I'm still figuring out my order. Gotcha. So there's a, I did it based on the importance of some of them. And there, there's two that didn't quite make the list, but I'm going to mention them just because. So um, one was in X-Men Apocalypse. Again, not the best movie, but that was the first one where he actually appeared with his wife, which also was the first, the last real time that those two were together on screen. So that was, you know, kind of touching. Um, and another one was uh, in Teen Titans Go to the Movies. He was there, and it was his first DC cameo, which I thought was kind of neat. Mm, yeah. So he jumps on the front of a golf cart, like one of those carts that they drive around in the movie studios, and he's like, hey, everybody, look at me. I'm Stan Lee doing my subtle cameo. You know, that he's... But it, and it was awesome. It was him, and and that movie was really fun. But I wanted to, you know, every one of these I thought were more like the important ones, which is also why there's a bunch that are from movies that are kind of terrible. Uh, the Simpsons one is awesome. It's hilarious, and that's how it made my list. And you know, it was just a fun little thing. Jimmy already explained it. Uh, the Mall the Mall Rats one was my number four, and that came out at a time when comics were starting to fail, and it definitely kept stan like in the eye of people's in people's eye you know because people weren't talking about comics back in then. the eye of the people's in the eye of the people's sorry i'm on a lot of cold medicine people nice yeah so much music next anyway um and he gives some love advice he's kind of like this this angel that's helping out um i forget the guy's name brady or grady or brody or something um the bilbo right and he's so he's looking at um He's looking at some bras, and Stan Lee comes up and is like, they look happy, don't they? And, and Stan Lee kind of does the whole thing about an issue of Spider-Man and uh, talks, you know, kind of gives some advice. But then, of course, the, the character is like, yeah, but I've got a question. Uh, the thing, is his dork made out of orange rock like the rest of his body? And it comes back a little bit later when he's like, when it's revealed that Stan Lee was put up to talking to that guy. And he's like, yeah, your friend has a real problem. He really wants to talk a lot about superhero penises. <laughs> which I thought was just a great fun little thing. Um, and a DC does as well, apparently. Yes, exactly. Another callback. Good. 
Uh, in the so now we're getting into three Hulk movies. Oddly enough, uh, despite me not really liking all of them too much, uh, Hulk two thousand eight. He actually it drives the plot forward. So it's really his only plot point cameo. That was like maybe the Thor one, but he drinks some soda, which has been tainted with Bruce Banner's blood, and collapses immediately. And you know the bottle shatters, and theoretically he dies in the movie. So I put that one in as three. Uh, number two. The Hulk appearing with Lou Ferrigno, that is his first speaking cameo, where he's talking to Lou Ferrigno as they walk out. It doesn't say anything too interesting, but it was the first time he really spoke in one of the movies. And the first one has to go in there. The very first cameo that he did was in that Trial of the Incredible Hulk movie. He is a jury member in that movie. And he doesn't have a speaking part, but they do show him in that. As Don't they the throw Hulk. a chair at him? Or he throws a chair at somebody? I only saw a still image. Oh, okay. That. It's possible, but... He is a jury member, and as that is the first one, I decided that one should is probably the most important because it kind of gave him that uh, that itch. Nice. And Rob is going to do the top five images. We still don't want him posting to Instagram since we <laughs> have not changed the script, apparently. Um, well, I'll go ahead and do go my – I, I did not do them based upon, like Greg did, uh, importance. I did them based upon um, ones that I enjoyed because I've seen a lot of the movies. I've, I've seen most of the movies. And I know, I know who Stanley is, and I and I I almost expect to see the cameos, you know. And it's really going to be weird watching Marvel movies without without a Stanley cameo. But you know, maybe they'll continue to do. Maybe they'll continue to do him because in previous movies they've he hasn't actually appeared in the movie, but his picture has been in the movie. You know what I mean? Like he's been painted on the side of a building, or his picture is hanging on somebody's wall in the background. Mm -hmm. So maybe that's something that they'll continue, and I think that would be awesome. But um, mine were more based upon their effect for me because a lot of the Stanley cameos for me are uh, comedic moments and, you know, they make me kind of laugh um, or they're surprising. Uh, so like a couple of ones that, that like almost made the list, but I feel like I kind of got to mention them is the Jimmy already hit one of them. That was the barber from Thor Ragnarok. Um, it, it's always a little unexpected, but you know, to see him with that big honking thing on oh, his that hand, big goofy, going, going like, old still now, <laughs> road warrior, like yeah. Legion of Doom costume. Yeah, and you're like, whoa, what is that? Um, but one of the other ones, and probably one of his longest cameos, was as the uh, the oblivious librarian in Amazing Spider-Man, as he's fighting. Uh, was it um, the Lizard guy? Uh, lizard Man was. Is his name really Lizard Man? I'm so I'm sorry, but you know where he's like listening to the headphones and the fight with Spider Man and the and um, Lizard Man are going on in the background, and and I think it was a 3D movie. So at one point they like throw a desk at him and Spider Man grabs it and yanks it back at the last second. You know, do either of you know what I'm talking about? Nobody's saying anything. Oh, sorry, I yeah. had I had it on mute. I I was frantically yelling at you that it was the Lizard, not Lizard Man. Oh, the, I, I forgot I had my microphone on mute so I could cough. The lizard, sorry. Yeah, I had my cough button hit. So, yes, it is the lizard. Yes, you were correct. There was a desk or a chair or something thrown, and they do the You lizard. had your cough button hit? Are you going to be okay? Yeah, no, like the the microphone mute button because I was You coughing. said your cough button. Yeah. I know, because that, that's what okay. it's actually called. All right. <laughs> the mute button but, on the microphone is called a cough I, button. But if I'm not mistaken, it is one of his longer cameos because it actually spans a couple of rooms and and several seconds. Like, I mean, it's like it's like a whole fight scene that he's in. Yeah. Um, so it's one of his longer, longer cameos. But um, I'll probably go with number five with my number five as the 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 Hulk where he's actually walking out with Lou Ferrigno and Lou Ferrigno's in his tight 
his tight security guard outfit and stands going, we really need to beef up the security in this place. And it's just hilarious because he's saying it to the Hulk. Yes. Um, my number four is probably for the surprise factor because I didn't expect it, but I loved that they did it. And that's um, as Fred's dad at the end of Big Hero 6. Mm-hmm. I, I loved that cameo. It, it, it gave me the smiles, you know, the, the little warm feelings. It's like, oh, Stanley. Yay. Um, one of the surprising ones for me, and I, and it really made me laugh, and he didn't have like a ton of lines. I think he said a couple of things, but when he when they had him as the strip club DJ in Deadpool, <laughs> yep. it was just so surprising to see him kind of hunched over the turntable with the with the earphones on, you know. Um, so I'll go with the strip club DJ number three. Number two is going to be one of the more recent movies, Spider Man Homecoming, where he's yelling at Peter Parker, calling him a punk out out of the window. And then he turns to some yeah. girl and he's like, hey, Myrtle, how's your sister? Or uh, Mar- how's your mother Marjorie. or something? Marjorie. Marjorie, yeah. yeah. And it's, hey, Marjorie, good to see you. How's your mother? <laughs> how's your mother? So yeah, um, I was watching that one today. That's why it's on my mind. Yeah, I, I like that one. But my favorite one is complete com- comedic value. And it was probably the funniest joke in the entire movie. And that's actually saying something because the movie was actually really good. But it says the FedEx driver at the end of Captain America Civil War, where he goes, I have a package for Mr. Stank. Yes. Are, are you Mr. Stank? <laughs> yeah. And Rhodey is like, oh, thank you for that. That That is not going anywhere. Miss, You are Mr. Stank. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's that one's funny. The, you know, what's funny. The, the one that immediately popped into mind was the trying to pull uh, Thor's hammer out of the crater. Like with oh, the with, the, with the truck? Yeah. And like him leaning out of the truck. And for some reason, it didn't end up on my list because there was just so many other ones that were... Oh, there's so many of them. Yeah. So it's I had that one that on my the... list. It was an honorable mention, but it didn't actually make it onto the list. Yeah. Uh, guys, there are videos all over the place of these cameos. Uh, Jimmy pointed some out to me. There's one on the front page of Entertainment Weekly right now. There's just Google nice. Stan Lee cameo in YouTube, and you've got compilations. I, I also liked the security guard from Winter Soldier where he comes here when he comes back and finds the the uh, suit for Cap- the original suit for Captain America gone. And he's walking away going, you had one job. <laughs> I forgot about that one. And uh, so we would love to hear yours. There's so many that, you know, we probably missed yours. So, of course, let us know via Twitter or whatever. And Jimmy, close us out. All right, guys. Well, thank you so much for listening. Please don't forget to follow, subscribe, rate, and review. We'd certainly appreciate it. You know, you can get in touch with us. We'd really appreciate that, too. We'd love to read your thoughts on the air. Uh, For the Give Me Five Brain Trust, I'm Jimmy. I'm Greg. I'm Rob. And poor Greg. Feel better soon. I'm working on it. Rest in peace, Stanley. Excelsior. Excelsior! Oh. <laughs> Someday I'll find out what that means.